Hello and welcome to Inside Stories from the MPA. I'm Christian James, the MPA's chair, and this is the podcast for the Manchester Publicity Association. It's where you get to hear about the news from the communications industry in Greater Manchester. I'm joined by my co-host, Cindy Simmons, the Managing Director of the MPA. And in this episode, you're going to hear some edited highlights from the MPA's recent event in partnership with ITV. But before we do that, let's have a little industry roundup in our What's Up, What's On feature. Some of the things, key topics of conversation and then a couple of MPA events on the horizon. I think first, in terms of the What's Up, the news that broke the other day about the opening of the Manchester campus for WPP, which was opened by UK President Karen Blackett. That's a massive story for the region. There's something like 550 staff in one location and... You know, there's some amazing brands there. You've got Essence Mediacom, Cheech and Bell, Code, Computer Love. Ogilvy Health, I think, is there as well. Wavemaker, of course, our very own Emma Slater, board member. Cloud, Kinetic. There's just so many brands going to be sit within one campus, which would be truly amazing for Manchester. Yeah, that's on the old um, Granada Studios site, isn't it? The old cobbled streets, slightly different these days. But yeah, fantastic news for the city and love to go and see it at some point. The other thing I noticed, I'm really good to read about confidence amongst northern business leaders increasing in the last month. So there's a Lloyds Bank business barometer that takes place each month. And it was really good to see the graph going in, in the right direction. And that followed on from another board member, Richard Aldis, in his role at the IPA couple of months ago where they also had some some really positive figures about marketing budgets expecting to rise over the next 12 months I think by as much as 18 percent I know we're an optimistic bunch but I'll take that optimism any day and then the third for sort of final one I just thought was really was worth worth mentioning was for new and particularly younger members of our industry who we know you know it's really important that they feel part of a vibrant social community in Manchester and it was great that our board member Sophie Hill uh, from Hearst, along with Max Brooks from United Media and a number of others, they're pulling together a programme of next generation initiatives, which uh, I think you know quite a lot about that. Next Gen really is at the heart of what the MPA is currently striving an agenda, not just for the people in the industry, it's people outside of the industry, which is most important. So looking at working with um, Michelle Gledhill and Jeff McCarthy, at MMU currently to look at immersion days with students and also talking to Manchester College and UA92 is how we can bring that fresh talent into the industry and help along that journey. Of course, native creators will do that in spades. Okay, that's what's up. Cindy, what's on? There's loads happening. Gosh, it's really busy. So we're entering into planning stage now for the next big debate, which we'll be seeing hitting your screen, so to speak, later in spring. Chris and I are working on that agenda, so look out for that big debate issue coming around for some interesting topic, no doubt. We're also just about to launch a training programme for a half-day workshop with Social Media Makes Sense. That'll be a half-day workshop in June. And I'm also talking to the lovely Becky Irvine, who's a life coach, and talking about doing a small workshop on how to engage with your staff in terms of life coaching and helping them with things like resilience. So it's going to be a really interesting couple of months. Now let's get back to the ITV event, which is all about championing greater disability inclusivity in the Northwest creative industries. ITV have been able to transform their approach to this through their diversity acceleration plan, 
And you're going to hear from the people behind that very soon. Yeah, this is a hugely important area for the MPA, isn't it, Christian? The recent work we've been undertaking? Absolutely is. The MPA's landmark DNI study back in 2019, it created an agenda for various initiatives, including the need for more diverse role models. That campaign is, I think we're just, just about to release the second second wave of, the, of that role model campaign, which is great. And we we certainly met and heard from some amazing role models in uh, in this ITV event, didn't we? We did, and I think it was so well put together in terms of how they structured the panel. We have people like Sam, Sam Tatlow, who's looking at delivering their ITV disability agenda, Jason Spence, who we all know so well. And the ABLE Ambassador Programme, which they'll talk about, is something that's very significant to them. There's a few people on the panel there. And it was hosted by the lovely Monica Taylor, the SVB Global Director from McCann Live, who had a, did a fantastic job. You'll hear more from her later. So they kicked off some on-air programmes that they talked in depth about, such as the programme with Paul Sinner from The Chase and Katie Piper, and many other initiatives taken on broadcast, which was really fascinating and showing how much they've actually decided to increase the representation for on-screen talent from about 9.6%, which is quite a encouraging direction for them to be taking. There was the Life After Death feature mm-hmm. about John Bishop and his son. That was fascinating. I did see that advertised. I did mean to watch that, actually, but it was actually you know, really kind of endearing how he took on the, the role of trying to work with her, his disabled son. And it really was truly fascinating yeah. content that they were sharing in terms of broadcast. There were some stats they quoted which were, I think it was something like one in four people in the UK have a disability. They kind of explained that with the invisible disabilities, which I think was that that was where the Katie Piper mm. and the Paul Sinner from The Chase. So, yeah, great loads to have heard about in terms of their on-air work and then equally as much in terms of the behind the scenes or off screen, as I think they termed it, with their leadership program, Amplify, which had started off for senior leaders who are people of colour. And now this year, it's for senior leaders who are deaf, disabled and neurodiverse. Also, they introduced us to Evenbreak, the specialist recruitment partner who helps businesses bring disabled people in to their businesses, but also helps people with disability to find find employment. So it was really broad, really, really broad topic of conversation, wasn't it? It just felt like a really safe space that you could ask the questions. You didn't have to worry about seeming naive and, you know, the people were there to help you. I, I learned a lot, went into it thinking, well, this might be quite upsetting to hear the challenges that people face. It was completely the opposite. It was one of the most uplifting events I've ever been to. Exactly. It was amazing. Amazing. Okay, let's hear some edited highlights from the event, kicking off with the panel hosted by Monica Taylor from McCann Live. I'm going to start sort of at the beginning a bit, if that's okay. What is the definition of a person with a disability? I think that kind of is interesting across both visual and invisible, temporary and permanent. Like, how do we start with an even kill and clarity? Then maybe we don't get to that. <laughs> Shall I take that? <laughs> um, so it depends how technical you want to be, Monica. Um, if, you were, if you want to be really technical, we're, we and we all should be using the definition that's um, from the Equality Act, which is anybody who has a long-term um, condition that it, it impacts their day-to-day lives on a, on a, on a day-to-day basis. That is grey legal speak. Grey area legal speak doesn't really mean anything. 
basically it is anybody um, who identifies as disabled or or who has a condition that will impact them in the workplace and um, on on a day-to-day basis. Now, as an employer, we and nor should you be expecting or um, asking for a medical uh, certificate or anything like that. It's actually about whether somebody identifies as being disabled or needs some adjustments that they that they are requesting in the workplace now not everybody will identify as disabled who has a disability how much into the politics you want me to get into (laughs) but um just to say that there are some disabled people who won't identify as being as being disabled but actually the way that we think about it is rather than are you disabled or not what can we do to support you to enable you to do your best work with us and and that's all that we care about did you want me to talk about visible and non-visible non-visible yeah let's um so we've mixed some of the terms here um in terms of how we're talking about this because um uh, disability is not a monolith and everybody feels slightly differently about language we're, we're going into a, a bit of a language consultation piece at the moment at ITV um, but when, you, when you're talking about disability we generally talk about disabled people because you are disabled by the world around you rather than your um, medical condition. So I'm disabled by the flight of steps that are outside this building rather than the fact that I use a wheelchair or was born with a medical condition. Um, If you don't know anything about that, go off and read about the social model of disability. When you're talking about conditions that are not visible, we generally talk about non-visible disabilities or invisible disabilities. And those are disabilities that are not necessarily as visible to you so I'm not going to kind of go into the the list of them but you know it's it language is something that is discussed and evolves and changes and everybody feels differently about it so what I suggest to everyone is to enter the conversation with kindness and respect and if you're not sure ask and be open to be corrected we know that media has the power to shift the narrative around disability by better uh, reflecting the real lived experience. We've seen so so much of that um, and you've seen the numbers. So the ITV numbers are great at 9.6, but actually only about 4% of TV adverts in the UK feature disabled people. And that drops to 1% of disabled people in leading roles, supposedly. Jason, what what do you think we can be doing as an industry to, to tackle this? I know you talked about sort of, you and Casey talked about some great initiatives that the people in this room can take. But if we were here as a collective, what can we be doing now to sort of really start to change specifically the representation we're seeing on our screen? There's probably a couple of things. But one, if you've not seen that research and want to see it, then please do let us know. We can make it accessible to anyone in this room, regardless of what industry you're from. So that's, that's the first thing. I think that almost goes back to the life um, after death example that Sam gave insofar as if you get a brief, whether you're media owner, media agency, creative agency, how you respond to that brief is framed by your lived experience. And if there is no one working on that team who has a lived experience, whether themselves or someone close to them of disability, it's essentially out of sight, out of mind. So until we start recruiting at all levels differently, we ain't going to make much change. And I do think that might be a harsh thing to say, but it's also quite a real thing. Now, that might take a while. So what we have to do in the meantime is make sure that on every brief, there is a question we ask. 
could we represent the people in this advert in some way, shape or form, whatever media, as having a disability, right? And if the answer is no, ask yourself why. And if the answer is yes, then ask yourself how. Love that. Hi, uh, I'm Andy Lovett. I'm uh, Chief Executive of a small charity called Digital Advantage. So uh, we work with uh, neurodiverse young people. Most of them have, have autism. So we work in schools. We work with about two, 300 a year. Uh, we provide alternative provision so kids are not fitting into schools. We also run a supported internship where we get to work for a year in a studio environment with young, talented, creative people who are brilliant coders, videographers, filmmakers, whatever. Um, the thing that gets us out of bed in the morning is a, a, is a statistic that 78% um, of people with autism will never enter full-time employment, which I think is a national disgrace. But and one of the biggest barriers to employment is the whole um, recruitment and interview process. So um, I'm really encouraged by what you've been saying today. It is fantastic. We, we're certainly going to make uh, uh, contact even break. But what are ITV doing and what perhaps should uh, people in the room be doing to make um, uh, careers more accessible specifically for people with autism? Yeah, really, really good question. Um, so we've reviewed our recruitment process and we continually to kind of update it. Um, the minimum key criteria is detailed on all of our applications. Um, and one of the pieces of work, I don't know if you want to add after Jason, one of the pieces of work that we've done is really looking at that criteria of the role and really breaking that down to what is a minimum and what is a nice to have and really having that clarity there. Because I think we all kind of write a job description with, you know, the person who's vacating that role in mind and we want them to have all the qualities that they have. But actually, what can we train? What can they learn on the job? What can they kind of go on additional um, courses to kind of upskill them? So we're making sure that the the roles across all level, are, obviously they kind of range in experience, but they are, um, they are accessible to everyone. Um, in terms of the recruitment process, obviously everything's changed since, since COVID. And we do a lot more online. Um, we ask for any, and I think a lot of organisations do it. A lot of organisations are a bit scared to do it, but we ask everyone if they've got any um, accessibility needs throughout all stages of the process. Um, and we really kind of can change the process dependent on those access needs. So there's nothing that anyone can ever come to us with that we can't find a way to do it. Um, so whether, you know, that's face to face or doing something remote or, you know, even for that stage of the application process, we have an inbox for anyone to get in touch with us if they are unable to complete the application because we find that, you know, that can be a barrier for some people as well. Um, but I think like we've said throughout this kind of the session so far, we haven't cracked it everywhere. So, you know, if there are other things that we can be doing, we're always open to changing and amending the process. And, and the, other, the other thing to build on that is, again, Come back to my own experience is sometimes one of the most daunting things is the interview process itself if you are the one doing the interview so um, we do have interview training um, which we encourage staff to go and we have a really big take up i know some of the people in my team have been on it and as someone who interviewed uh gosh year before last one person with autism one with adhd in the same interview process and feeling really overwhelmed by it and having to get advice i think actually go just going on courses sometimes whether you have a disability or not is sometimes one of the most empowering starting points on that. The key minimum criteria, I think, is a great discipline because it actually makes you focus on 
what's really important, you know, and what do you kind of have in your mind that should be important? And most things can be adapted, if we're really honest. Hi, it's Josie Campbell from McCann, Manchester. Um, so kind of what you've just said has answered a bit, but I suppose I'm quite lucky that the client I work with leans into this a lot and they really want to explore how they can work more in this area. But often what we get to a stage where they just lack the courage because of the backlash they feel like the public's going to give them. So we might get quite far down the line where we think it's going to go over and they, they almost crumble a little bit thinking, what's the public going to say and, and what kind of cruel comments are going to come, what complaints, ASA and that kind of thing. Um, is there any kind of toolkit or advice that you'd give us to kind of help give our clients that courage to really lean into it a bit more and get it out there? Yeah, I think it's really difficult, isn't it? Because let's face it, there isn't enough representation out there. So when there is, everybody jumps on it. So like, this needs to tell my story and you're not telling my story. So now I'm really, really upset or you've not told my story exactly how you want it. I think we all have to be um, a bit braver, if I'm honest. And um, the more we do, the better we will represent everybody. But if we, if we use, if we use our feelings around the backlash, as a reason to not do it, then we're just perpetuating the same problem. So um, the first thing I would say is kind of linking into the previous answer, bring people into the team so that you're authentically representing the stories that you're trying to tell. Um, and uh, to make the teams braver, I think I think it's just leaning into that and, and pushing yourself to be... Um, uh, pushing yourself to make sure that you're doing your best and reminding yourself that you are doing your best. I was really nervous about the Invisible Disabilities campaign. We had done so much work on that and brought in lots of different people. Able consulted on it. We brought a different external disabled-led um, company, worked on it. And obviously we worked with Scope and, and my team as well. There were lots of people involved. I was still really nervous that we were going to get that, um, get some backlash or that we'd missed something. Luckily that didn't happen, but I think... If we're not feeling nervous about it, mistakes will be made. So actually, that's probably a good thing. But it's all about kind of just we've got to do more. Otherwise, we're just never going to do anything. But I think the other thing is, I, I don't know if we actually did pre-testing with System 1 on that. But for your particular client, System 1 do a great pre-testing thing from storyboards and animatics. So before you've even spent a penny and they do it with other McCann's clients, it's a great way to see what will the public say. So with a representative sample... Um, so I'd probably say maybe get them to consider that as a starting point if they're nervous. I think also, sorry, just to add on that point as well, it's something that we've kind of spoke about before. What's the impact if you don't do that? Um, you know, you're, you're going to have the same conversation in a year's time, but you're going to be 10 times more nervous about it because you've kind of, you've longed it out even longer. So what's the impact if you don't do it now as well as something maybe to think of? I just wondered in terms of that kind of next generation coming through, I work at University of Salford and it, in for me this is a really you know it's a key aspect of a lot of work that we do and I just wonder where are the links and how can we forge the links with industry to show and have role models in terms of you know encouraging young people to come and join us and I think that's you know as much for us to think about clearly but also how we could join with industry and perhaps look at you know, is there, a, is there a line there that we can follow where we're working with schools and colleges, universities, and then out into that kind of um, the world of media and creative industries? 
I mean, I think if we think about here specifically in the Northwest, so as Casey said, we're launching an, a, a, a commercial apprenticeship role, which is being ring fenced for people with a disability, deaf or neurodiverse. Um, I'd love to explore how we get that message out to schools and colleges, because at the moment we've got an established network through our recruitment team who will get that out through even break and other partners we have. But if anyone can give us some advice on how to get that message out, please do let us know. Um, and then depending on the kind of uptake we have on that, we'd love to use that as a kind of leaping off point for thinking about, well, what more could we do? You know, and if there are ideas you have, please come and talk to us. It, it is about funding at the end of the day, but it's about us prioritizing that within the budgets we have and building our own confidence as well. I mean, you know, th thinking about how we're going to have to adapt uh, a assessment center with people with multiple different needs simultaneously and thinking about, well, how will we prepare our team for the interview process, some of them are in the room today, even if they don't know it. Um, and thinking about, you know, some of those other things. So so I think we can work together on that and you might be able to be a great access point for us. Yeah, that we definitely had, um, I think Christian had given me a question about one of the key issues we've seen through the DNI work at the MPA is that actually many sections of our society just aren't aware of us as an industry and understand the roles that are available. So actually um, there's almost kind of points all the way through the process that, that need to fix and I, I know it's a big topic conversation for across a lot of the industry but that, yeah absolutely maybe that's one of the actions as a as a a group that we can kind of think about is, is how do we do that where where would you like to do the next bit of big work like what's the what's your next kind of project that you think is really important to tackle uh, secondly we've got plenty of people here um, all at different stages of their journey so what bit of advice can you give them you don't have to answer both you can just pick the one pick your favorite if you want well apparently in the UK there are 14 million people with a disability and there are 600,000 vegans but there's a lot more noise around <laughs> disability. so so I'd just like to kind of see how we can all come together to um, create a sort of much bigger noise around this because I think the change comes through questioning stuff and through challenging the way things have been done to date lovely so, uh, we need to find a month that we can rename maybe i feel like veganuary's done a terrible thing for us mine is just kind of off the back of jason's point is not being scared to have those conversations even if you start very small starting is the hardest part and it'll become natural and you won't think twice about it um but i think kind of putting it off will only increase your anxiety and the nerves around it. So kind of just get started in your kind of comfort zone and kind of, you know, push yourself out from there, really. Um, a lot of my work is mostly focused on talent and on-screen and off-screen talent stories that we're telling. What my main aim is to find are disabled Anton decks. So that's not a this year, but that's a kind of that's a journey, but that's where we're, that's where we're aiming for. Um, and our Amplified programme about disabled leaders. Who are the disabled people who are leading in the different departments of our businesses and really kind of supercharging that? We're in the, we're in the middle of our recruitment process for Amplify and we're just so excited about it because we've met some amazing colleagues already and that kind of process is ongoing. So that's exciting. And in terms of advice for you all, be brave. Um, talk about disability, disability and disabled people is not a dirty word. So say it, say it out loud and be proud and just give it a go. And if you get it wrong, we all get it wrong. Apologize and move on from it because um, we're not going to get anywhere if we don't give it a go.
It was so thought-provoking, I think, the whole thing. I think the summing up there was about, don't be scared, because a lot of people in that room really kind of came up front and said, we're a bit scared about this topic. Yeah. I thought that was so you know, heartwarming that people are owning up to being scared about talking about something, so that's fantastic. Yeah, that last point, got to give people a chance to learn, and if everybody's frightened, they're not going to ask the right questions, you're not going to be able to progress at all. I think what these amazing people at ITV have done is they've normalised a topic of conversation that was something that people felt awkward about. What a team they've got behind it. They made it very simple. They use the word accessibility quite a lot. They're looking to make things accessible to others. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's what we were trying to do, wasn't it, in the create an environment where we could access the stories that they were telling and then adapt them for ourselves. I think the even, even break is one thing that everybody can easily access in terms of helping them to recruit better but also cindy what i definitely took was there's a progress for us with all the events that we do just putting that event on now has normalized the question of accessibility and i'm a bit embarrassed that you know it wasn't something that was front of mind before it absolutely will be every single event we do now we will make sure that it's accessible to as many people as we possibly can make it be um, I'm yeah, really ha happy with that. 100%. Absolutely 100%. We learned something as well, didn't we? Let's face it. It's good to learn something new. Just so you know, the panellists mentioned a number of different organisations that are useful in this discussion. And so we put those links to those organisations in the episode notes for this podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside Stories from the MPA, Manchester's Publicity Association. You hear from us again in about a month's time when Nikki Unsworth will be our guest, hosted by our co-host Lisa Morton. Nikki will be telling us about her role and journey to her current role as non-executive director from the days of BJL. This podcast was produced by Purposeful Podcasts. If you want to build a community around your business or your brand, please do get in touch with the team at purposefulpodcasts.com. Please do share and follow Inside Stories because that means more people will get to find us. And if you know people who aren't in the MPA but might be interested in joining, please do share this podcast with them too. <laughs>